life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. That's our theme verse from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Senior Pastor Perry Duggar continues our series called Church Extended. This week's episode, Legacy. This week's spiritual practice, if you could write your own epitaph, what would it say? What one step can you take this week towards becoming that kind of person? If you want to watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through the message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org slash watch or download the Brookwood Church app. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the Church Extended Series. We pray this message encourages you and your walk with Christ. And now, Pastor Perry Duggar. Could you say that for you to live is Christ? Is that a description of your life? Is that a purpose and focus of your life? Today we continue our survey of Acts entitled The Church Extended. And today's message is titled Legacy. A legacy is something that you leave behind for others. Theme verse today is not taken out of Acts chapter 20, though I'll be dealing with the latter part of that chapter. It's actually taken from Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, and it says, lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. It's interesting, isn't it? It repeats it twice. Lead a life worthy of of your calling, for you have been called by God. And if you want to lead a, leave a worthwhile spiritual legacy, then that's the way to do it, to lead a life, to live a life worthy of the calling God has placed on your life. Background, Acts chapter 20, I'm going to just survey this just for time's sake. Beginning at verse 13. So remember, Paul preached all night in what city? Troas. Josh, Josh did this last week. And um, it, it, it's my favorite passage. And Josh, I gave it to Josh to preach, even though I love it. Because it reminds me so much of you. I preach all night. You fall asleep, <laughs> fall out the window and die. <laughs> Paul raised him from the dead. But then interestingly, Paul decides he's going to walk to the next city. He sent the others, including Luke, who wrote this book, on a ship. So they sailed to Mytilene, and then they sailed past several other islands. You can read those. Um, Paul joined them on ship. On the ship, he decided to sail past Ephesus because he had spent three years at Ephesus. So he he traveled, and he. You, one of the questions is, why did Paul walk when they were on a ship? You can offer several suggestions. I think. He walked because he could be with the people from Troas. Even though he had preached all night, I think there were people that still wanted to walk with him and hear from him and ask questions of him. Remember, this is like the birth of Christianity. 
And these people have no Bible, no New Testament. They have an Old Testament. And so understanding it in terms of the Messiah and the way to live in Christ needed a lot of help. And so Paul spent more time, I think. Now, he could have just wanted to walk alone and pray, and that's possible. But so he joined the, he joined the, the crew, and they sailed to Mytilene. Then they sailed past Chios. Then they crossed to the island of Samos, and then they arrived at Miletius. In Miletius, even though he had decided he was going to sail past Ephesus because he didn't want to go back there, still, when he stopped there, he sent for the elders because he wanted to spend more time. The scripture there says he was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. He hoped to arrive there by Pentecost, and it was only 34 days hence. So, he stops at this port, Miletius, and even though he said, I don't want to go back to Ephesus, there must have been something pulling at him to do that, to even have said that, because he spent so long there. So he sent for the elders. Now, Ephesus is 30 miles away, and so he asked them to walk to see him. How many of us have friends that would walk 30 miles to see us? So he asked, you do, good, that's a blessing. And so he, he asked them to come and meet with him. So he could offer in them more instruction. And probably he was waiting there in port while the ship was unloaded and then reloaded with cargo. And a lot of us, if we had preached all night and then walked for miles, what would we have done? Take a nap, sleep. Say, I've been with y'all, leave me alone. Not Paul. Paul knew he had a calling on his life. And he wanted to use all the time he had, even this limited time in port, to further teach and challenge and encourage these church elders. This word elder comes from the Greek word presbyteros, which is where Presbyterian comes from. And it's, there's an emphasis in that word on the spiritual maturity of these church leaders. There are other words that are also used for the same church leaders, and they are translated either overseer or bishop, and that refers to kind of more management, or pastor, which refers to shepherding the uh, maintenance and the care of the people. Uh, here in our church, we don't technically use the title elder. For our elders, we have pastors and we have trustees, men and women, who lead our church spiritually. So Paul spent three years in Ephesus, and he, he didn't just want to instruct these people, he loved these people. And he had great concern for them. They had a tremendous responsibility, because this was an important church in Asia. It was a leading church. It was a church that was facing hostility and would likely feel uh, face growing hostility. And so he wanted them to be able to be spiritually prepared to lead and to influence the church so that the church could then influence those who would come later and influence the wider community. So in other words, he was teaching them how to have a spiritual legacy that could be passed on to the members of the church who could then pass it on to others to follow in the future. Now you say, well, 
we're not elders. You said there's only a, a few elders or spiritual leaders in our church. So why are you using this message? Well, I want you to understand about the scripture. Every passage has one meaning. But it has many, many applications. So when you read a passage and you say, well, this doesn't apply to me. It does, but you've got to ask God to help you see how it applies. Leanne's been reading Leviticus, you know, and you think, well, how does this apply to me? But it all does, though you may need the Spirit to help you see how. So as I prayed over this, I realized not all of us are the kind of the, the overall leaders of this church. But we're all spiritual leaders because there are people we influence. Some of you lead groups. Some of you lead small groups or larger gatherings. But all of us lead families, friends, neighbors, business partners, co-workers. And we're leaders in our communities. Now you say, well, I don't fill a role like that. Well, you do, though it may not be an official role. And so all of us are continually building legacies. Now, the lifestyle and character that we display will be our legacy. Because you see, you're building a legacy, though it may not be a positive one. We are always building a legacy of many areas, including a spiritual legacy, because we are teaching through the way we live, through what we say, through how we act, we're, we are giving spiritual influence to other people. So we want to discover from Paul's advice to these Ephesian elders how we can leave a positive spiritual legacy, a legacy that pleases God, a legacy that influences others toward faith in Jesus Christ. And so I pull out just a few principles from this passage. First, a spiritual legacy is created by a consistent life and message. Beginning at verse 18. When they arrived, he declared, these are the elders, when they arrived, you know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. So understand this. Paul didn't fool around. Sometimes we think, oh, I got to really get to know somebody before I say anything. Not Paul. He landed in Ephesus. He started. Because Paul was committed to pursuing God's plan and God's purpose not his own, and not according to his own methods. Paul replaced his personal wants, desires, plans, and ambitions with God's. See, Paul wasn't concerned with making these people like him. He was more concerned with expressing to them what God wanted them to know. And he was passionate about this calling. It even says that he wept with these people. We can give instruction to people and not care about them at all, can't we? And we've all had teachers, leaders, bosses 
who didn't mind give us, giving us instruction, but they didn't care about us. These people knew Paul cared about him. And when he said he wept, he literally wept. Was it because they, they refused to hear, they rejected him? Perhaps. He also suffered fierce opposition. Continue in verse 19. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of Jews. And it included hostility, attack, arguments, even violence. But despite these threats, Paul said at Acts 20, 20, I never shrank back from telling you what you wanted to hear. Is that what yours says, Mike? What's it say? You think there's a difference? What you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. This is an important verse. When you are a leader, a spiritual leader particularly, and as I said, you decide who it is you lead, but it includes, certainly includes family, friends, maybe a small group, a more formal uh, teaching group, but it includes people at work. Do we shrink back from saying what people need to hear? I think some of us shrink back from even telling our own kids what they need to hear. From telling our spouses what they need to hear. Well, the, well he's going to reject me. Well, she's going to reject me. Well, she's going to be... Well, do, do you see any of those exceptions written in? Because, see, we have to be more committed to what God's called us to than what we want. You don't really have a right to your popularity. Do you see that? When God has given you a commission and an assignment, and as parents, we're really on assignment to prepare our children. Training of children is teaching them how to, we discipline so they learn self-discipline so they can later surrender to God's discipline and leadership. And that assignment is always with us. And yet, how many times have we been reluctant to tell our own children what they needed to hear? Now, not that any of you would, but do you know anybody that ever hesitated? And you knew exactly what this child of yours, maybe grown, needed to hear. You know what I'm talking about? So what'd you do? Did you back off or did you go ahead? Knowing you were going to be rejected and you were going to be resisted. Knowing that. But we have to be more committed to God's call and God's purpose, even with our own children. Now, I'm not saying be harsh. I'm not saying be critical. I'm not saying be cold. But I'm saying you must be truthful. Now, I believe that downstream they will respond appropriately. In fact, I believe 
they'll resent you refusing to tell them what they needed to hear. Anybody agree with what I'm saying? So we need to always be sure that we're communicating the message that others need to hear. That's in the church, that's in the small group, that's in the family, it's in the home. Even though it might make you unpopular sometimes. Paul was, understand, he was consumed with love for Christ. He, he was keenly aware, remember we sang to live as Christ. He was keenly aware of the calling of God on his life. But here's the thing with Paul, he didn't have any other interests. You know, I was thinking about myself, and I thought, there's not much interesting about me. Very flattering, isn't it? <laughs> but is, is God's message what's most important? So that my life and my message are consistent. And am I and are you the same person with the same message in public and in private? People that know you, if, if somebody said, what's the message of that guy's life? Do they know it? Would they come close to seeing it? Or have we become so needy of people's affirmation that we hide away and we obscure the call of God on our lives? Are we consistent? Does our life and our message, God's message, match? Verse 21, I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. Now, what does repentance mean? Say it louder. Turning about. Turning about. Literally, the, the word in Greek is metanoia. And meta means after. Noia means to think. That's where we get knowledge. So it means to think after. But, but more understood, it conveys the idea of to change your mind. But it means to change your mind about what's true. What's true about yourself, what's true about God, what's true about sin. To change what you believe. You've heard me say this over and over. Our beliefs control every aspect of life. Do you believe that? Every aspect of life. Now, we may be involved in something that we're ashamed of and we'll say, well, I know this isn't right. Well, no, well, you really don't know it's right because we always do what we think truly is right. Do you believe that? Y'all got to answer now. I know I'm challenging you. We may say, oh, no, no, I don't believe this. This wasn't like me. Well, it was just like you. In fact, it was more like you than what you usually do. 
Because you can't do anything but follow your truth, what you truly believe. And that includes what you believe about God, what you believe about sin, what you believe about yourself, what you believe about this world. It controls your decision-making, which means it controls your what? Your actions, your behavior. Paul didn't have a different message for Jews and Gentiles. It probably would have worked better, don't you think? Because think about these two groups. They were very different. They didn't even like each other. But their approach to God was completely different. The Jews had all the Torah and they thought that it was this outward behavior that would make you right with God. The Gentiles, they had all kinds of gods. They didn't have any preconceptions about behavior and they were influenced by a lot of immorality that was even part of worship. So they're coming from two completely different thoughts about God and faith. And so he could have sort of accommodated one to the other, you know? He could have said to you Jews, well, you know, these folks, they are really wild, but you aren't, see? But, but, but if you just would consider accepting Jesus. And this group over here say, well, you know, those Jews, y'all are free spirits, but these Jews, they're so legalistic and wooden, but God likes your spirit. He didn't do it. He had one message for both audiences. Because he, even though he altered his approach, like we taught a few weeks ago, I can tell you about the God whose name you don't know. He didn't change the essence of his message to fit his audience. He stressed with every audience the need to turn from sin, which is repentance. The need to turn toward God. It's not enough to stop sinning. You have to go in another direction toward God in relationship and in, in a love relationship obedience follows and to practice faith in the person and the work of Jesus I, I think in our country we have done damage to the gospel and I think it, it, in some ways it was well motivated but it was unwise so we sort of softened those parts of the gospel that talked about sin and the need for repentance and, and judgment and all that because we wanted to, to, uh, to reach people better, to make the gospel more appealing. And unfortunately, it rolled out to become, please give God a chance. He's dying to have you with no aspect of repentance or the presence of sin in reality, you don't need God if there's no issue of sin and judgment. But that's why, you know, I don't have um, Facebook or Twitter or any of those things. But, you know, even if you read news or something, there's always, and I read a little sports, there's always all these comments. You know what I'm talking about? So I read some of those sometimes, which gives me a little insight. So I'm not completely a caveman, but mostly one. But... But it's interesting to me how I see these people speak of God and something extremely immoral in the same tweet. Is that what it's called? And they see no inconsistency because they've been told 
you choose who God is and you choose what he thinks. And so you can embrace God and all this worldly stuff that you want. And God is just happy to have you. Is that the gospel that, I mean, am I off base? That isn't the gospel. That is not the gospel. And unfortunately, there'll be many people one day that might look at one of us if they had the opportunity and say, why didn't you tell me I had deceived myself? You knew better than this. Why didn't you tell me I had deceived myself? Because the world has kidnapped God and faith. And they've attributed their own beliefs, their own morality, their own standards to it. But the problem is, they left the gospel when they did. If you want to build a spiritual legacy, and how many of you want to do that? You want to build a spiritual legacy with your life. Let me see. I want to, I want to see it. You must know what you believe. And you must live it out. You have to be sure that your behavior matches what you say you believe. And people are watching. You think nobody's watching you? If you call yourself a Christian, they're watching closer. Now, it may not be well-motivated. They may be waiting for you to slip. But guess what? When you don't, it makes them think about it. I don't believe most faith is taught. I believe most faith is caught. I believe it's confirmed. You know, I've told you about my mother. Her faith was confirmed to me over and over and over and over. It wasn't because she'd call me up now and then when I was in college and say, did you go to church Sunday? That didn't do it. But I knew by the consistency of her life that God had to be real. And there was no way I ever had a day that I didn't believe God was real. I wasn't born again. I, I couldn't have, I would have called myself a Christian, but biblically speaking, I wasn't. You know, my daughters are believers, but I can tell you this, neither of them are Christians because of stuff their dad said on this stage. The reality of faith came from living day in and day out. Not a, not a perfect man at all. I don't claim that. But they could see up close whether I really believed what I said on Sunday. So we must teach and live the biblical gospel fully and accurately. And not shape it to, to conform to the social or the political preferences of our audience. Even if our audience is our own children. I've heard too many people say, well, I can't say that to, that, to them. I might offend them. I might, I might lose their affection. They won't say I'll lose their affection. But my answer is you must say it. And if you have demonstrated consistent love to this point... They may not agree with it, but they'll still accept who you are. 
So am I consistent? Are you consistent in life and message? Are they the same? And are they the same in public and in private? What would the people you manage say about you? What would the people you work with say about you? They're a better measure than if I gave you a sheet to fill out. People that encounter me at other places are better measures of who I am as a, as a man and a believer than you are. Although there's so many of you, I can't tell when one of you's around. And over the years, I've learned you wait to tell who you are until after you see how I act. But, but, but that's beautiful, and I think it's appropriate. That's the point of consistency. You see what I'm saying? It's fair to judge me by the way I treat people, particularly in difficult situations. A spiritual legacy is created by a commitment to serve God. Verse 20. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Now, how'd you like that assignment? But I think, I think the most important word here is it doesn't say Paul decided to do something. It says he was what? Bound by what? Are you bound by the Spirit? See, if you're bound by the Spirit, you can't escape it. This week, we learned that Graham, and who many of you have been so good to my family and praying for us, and many of you have, have provided food, you've provided even gifts and funds and stuff, but we learned this week that Graham comes home two weeks from Friday. <laughs> Graham comes home on dialysis. Will God intervene later? Maybe. But see, the point is, I didn't get what I prayed. I haven't yet. But I'm bound to God because there's been too many interactions with Him and too many experiences with Him. So even though I'm not happy with this outcome, but God hasn't left us because we are bound to him. And so it's really almost more, what do you know about God? It's really, it's really more, what does God know about you? Are you consumed by him and you can't escape it? You know, when you see people deny God, you can't deny God if you've ever known him. That's how martyrs died. There wasn't any way for them to say to denounce Christ. They were bound. And so Paul was bound to do whatever God assigned him by the Spirit. Even though, gosh, I mean, none of us want that assignment. Come on, Paul, you're going to this town. You'll be imprisoned and beaten. And then you're going to this town. They'll beat you too. 
I mean, not very attractive, is it? And yet, how many of us would walk away? How many of us have walked away? Paul didn't determine his participation by the problems he might incur. Well, in fact, he was promised he would incur. Or even the expected outcome. But how many of us do? How many of us know God said, go speak? And we say, oh, they won't respond to me. Or they'll mistreat me. Or they won't be nice to me. Or the... How many of us would go if the Spirit said, and you're going to jail for it? But if we're bound, guess what we do? We get ready for jail. If our culture keeps drifting, there might be a day that preaching the things I preach and you saying some of the things you say might be labeled hate speech, punishable. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? See, Paul had already surrendered himself, his entire life to God's use. Verse 24. And this is our memory verse, important verse here. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work God assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Is that true of you? The value of your life is your service to God. Paul then informed these people that he had completed his work with them. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom of God will ever see me again. How do you think he said that? What do you think, Scott? What tone was he? Chris, what do you think? You think he was sad? I think he was sad too. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it is not my fault. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. Now what tone did he say this in? Is he being arrogant? If you perish, I've done all. I've done everything I had to do. It's your own fault. This is a man who said he's been weeping over these people. He did say it. But he wanted them all to be saved. But he wanted to make sure that even though he loved these people and he spent three years with them and he wept with them, he wanted them to say, but he had fulfilled his responsibility of preaching a complete gospel. A gospel that included redemption. But also a gospel that included judgment for a lack of repentance. 
And we are scared to death to say that. Why would anyone want to be saved where they're going to cut into their, their lifestyle if there's no issue about sin and the need for repentance and a need for relationship with God? And yet we've tried to make it, oh, more palatable. But Paul says, I've preached the whole gospel to you. And you know what? I, I don't know that we will interact with people on judgment day. And I hope nobody says, oh, you were arrogant and uncaring to me. But I also don't want anybody saying, you didn't tell us the whole truth. You didn't help me see the necessity of repentance and faith. He preached God's gospel. See, who owns the gospel? Who owns it? You don't own it. I don't own it. I've been given it to steward, but I'm not allowed to alter. Oh, I don't really like that one. I don't like this part. This, oh no, let me not, I'm not going to say that. It's God's gospel. He entrusts it to us to share accurately, fully. See, we can't save people. You know that, right? The spirit regenerates our part is to share the whole good news. Not craft it so it might appeal to more people. And now Paul would move on to take God's next assignment. You know, if we want to leave a spiritual legacy, then we have to be committed, bound to serving God, to pleasing Him instead of pleasing ourselves or trying to please other people? Are you bound to serving God? And that means serving God in every situation. In every situation. A spiritual legacy is created by a concern for others' well-being as well. Paul continued to challenge these church leaders and, and also us as spiritual leaders. Verse 28. So guard yourselves. How do you guard yourselves for God's, to carry out God's assignment? Say what? Pray. That's the right one. What else? Read your Bible. Spend time before God. In other words, maintain your relationship with God. Guard yourself. This assignment is a very, very difficult one. And Satan wants to trip you up at every step. And I have known far too many people, and you have too, who really started well. Maybe they even were born again, and they thought, well, this is not so bad. And then they figured, well, I'm just going to step a little bit off here. And then that wasn't so bad. And so I'm going to step a little bit off here. And when they found themselves mired in terrible circumstances and consequences, 
Only then did they realize they had not guarded. Some of us don't guard our relationship with God individually. We let the crowd carry us. We let what we have known for years carry us. We let some Bible verses we know carry us. That's not a relationship. And it will be exposed. It will be exposed. Guard yourselves. But also guard God's people for whom you're responsible. And here's how he says, feed and shepherd God's flock, his church. Because the church, see, belongs to God. You don't belong to me. I'm appreciative of you coming to church here. But you don't belong to me and you don't belong to the other pastors. You belong to God. And I hope you're here because God brought you here. And then it says, you were purchased with his own blood. I want you to understand that. You know, some of us, we're disappointed in what we've achieved in life or haven't achieved. Positionally, financially, even relationally, things have not gone well. And we just sort of trudge in here and trudge out and we think, I'm sort of that second class, third class, fourth class Christian. I'll get in and barely. Your life's not worth less to God. And you didn't cost less to be purchased. Some of us undervalue ourselves. We had parents or others that didn't seem to value us much, and so we view ourselves not very positively, and that's a dangerous place to be. But let me tell you this. I hope your spirit will let you receive this. You didn't cost less for God. And He didn't die for you as part of a whole pack of people. He experienced your sin individually, personally. He chose deliberately to die just for you. Every sin he knew, he said, I'll die for that one. And one day he may be there at that last judgment. He may say when, when I don't know the format, but I don't know if we all answer for our lives, it seems to imply that. And I think Christ may be there and say, oh no, oh no, Father, I, I died for that one. That one belongs to me. And that's you. If you've never been in first place in anything in your life, you are with him. Your life cost his son. Not you and your husband, not you and your family, not you and everybody in your church. Uh-uh. You, only you. And these elders were appointed, appointed elders over this church by the Spirit. Well, he saved you, but he didn't save you to just lay back. He saved you for his purpose. And you have spiritual responsibility over others.
and they're watching. Spiritual responsibility. Teaching and guiding people's lives requires being able to, to know and recognize doctrinal threats about beliefs. And, and you can only know it through familiarity with God's Word. Are you familiar with God's Word? Listen, our culture is corrupt and it's getting more corrupt. I mean, today, standing for God's righteousness makes you a hater. But our culture, what's needed is God's truth saying, no, this is what's allowed and this is not allowed. But you have to say it. But my, my daughter's living a different lifestyle and, and you owe her truth. But, but I might get rejected. Yes, you might. But you owe her because you love her to guide her into God's truth. You hear me? Boy, we just shut up to get along, don't we? And we do harm in doing it. I'm not saying, I'm not saying with hatred, ever. I'm not saying with arrogance. I'm not saying with cruelty. I'm not saying with criticism. I'm saying motivated by love and tears. And I'm telling you this, our culture is headed in a place where we need truth speakers. And it starts in your home, but it goes beyond that. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. This person will never, never underestimate the power of pride. Spiritual leaders have the responsibility of guarding the flock God has given them. It could be a whole church, it could be a small group, it might be a large group. It's at least your family or your friends, your friend group. It could be your co-workers. But God's placed you somewhere and he didn't put you there to be silent. Because attacks will come from without and they'll come from without in the church, but certainly in the community. So he says at verse 31, watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day. Do you ever get a break? Betty, you ever get a break? There is no break. There is no break. Heaven. And my many tears for you. You know what? If you have someone in your family that's away from God, it ought to be tearing you up continually. And because of that, you pray and you fast and you talk a little bit, but then you mostly pray and you fast. I was at the, um, the Rusty Pail, Rusty Bucket, <laughs> last night <laughs> in um, Gray Court, Gray Court, the metropolis. And... Um, <laughs> Michael O'Brien was singing, very well-known guy. Uh, he sung here years ago. I don't know, probably five, six, seven years ago. And um, I remember when he was here, he talked about his daughter being away from the Lord and, and, and the pain and the prayer. And, and then he sang last night in this place, 
And he said his daughter had come to the, back to the Lord and was married in faith and was raising her children in faith. And so you see how God can work through our prayers and our words and our tears. Probably tears most important because they know that you care. Paul was vigilant. He was emotionally invested in these people. He was invested in them emotionally and, and spiritually and invested in them physically. He cared about them completely. But now he has to leave these people. And so, and now I entrust you to God. When you've done all you can do, you give them to God. You keep praying. You keep fasting. You speak when you have the chance, but you give them to God. How many of you have ever taken a kid to college? Boy, I took two. I cried all the way. I cried all the way out of Clemson. Then I cried all the way out of Columbia. But we'd done all we could do, and we could only entrust them to God. Some of you have some kids beyond your reach right now. They're not beyond God's. They're not hidden from Him. So entrust them to God. But keep talking. I mean, I've been yelling at God some. I'm saying, this boy belongs to you more than he belongs to me. And I need you to care about him. But he doesn't mind me talking to him that way. Because he matches and exceeds my love and my concern. So he entrusted them to God and the message of his grace. So that he entrusted them to seek God in prayer. And to know the message, he didn't ha- they didn't have the New Testament. We do. That is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. That includes every one of you that are born again. You don't fit in. You already know that, don't you? You belong to God. You don't get to fit in. Paul would no longer watch over these people in person, but he gave them over to God's care. He encouraged them to seek God to, through prayer and through the scripture. And it's in those ways that we deepen our faith. We increase our intimacy with God by continual conversation, by, by expanding our understanding of God, not just by what we read, but by what the spirit reveals to us. And so you say, well, I don't even know where to start. Well, well Mark Taylor and, and often David Prepare this program every week, and it has daily readings. There's questions. Get in a small group. If you haven't yet, start tomorrow. Spend some time with God. Even if it's two sentences of prayer and a verse of Scripture, spend some time with God. And Paul's challenge, it's interesting, one of his closing challenges to these leaders included a warning about materialism because the pursuit and the love of money will kill your spiritual life without exception it'll easily take his place verse 33 and I've never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes you know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of others who were with me and I've been a constant example of how you can help people in need by working hard And you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It's more blessed to give than receive. And we build a legacy by demonstrating a generous giving heart. 
If you want your kids to know that you're truly believers, they'll see it in your giving. And if you don't give, you're not convincing them of anything. Because you know what? Your giving always follows your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And your giving. Do you display for concern for others, which is the heart of Christ, through generous acts, through your giving? Yes, I'm talking about finances. By giving. Your children know whether you're stingy or generous, whether you've ever said a word. They know who you help and what you avoid. When he had finished speaking, perhaps the ship was ready to sail, he knelt and he prayed with them. They all cried and they embraced and kissed him goodbye and they were sad. Most of all because he said he wouldn't see them again. And then they escorted him to the ship. You see the affection? You remember when somebody stayed at your house that you really loved? Not the usual bunch. And, and you couldn't, even, you didn't even, it hurt you to let them go out the door. You know what I'm talking about? And you kind of would pull on them. And, you know, I remember when the kids would head back to college and you, you, you embarrassed yourself, you know. You could hardly let them get in the car. You'd hardly... Well, that's what was going on here. They don't want him to go. They're holding on because they love him. Because he loved them by telling them everything he need, they needed to know honestly. Paul invested in these leaders and their church. He left them a legacy to follow so they could build a spiritual legacy for the church and beyond. What legacy are you leaving? Because you're building one right now. Care volunteers will be here. I urge you to come to the baptism celebration. Like, like uh, they told you, there'll be food trucks and we'll start dunking at 6.30. Father, we thank you for this word. Help us to be a people who are mindful of our lives, that we would leave the sort of legacy that would influence others toward faith in your son in whose name we pray amen thank you for coming thanks for joining us for this week's message our memory verse is acts chapter 20 verse 24 but my life is worth nothing to me unless i use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the lord jesus the work of telling others of the good news about the wonderful grace of God. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected to Brookwood. Please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week.